this week on Hope for the Broken. Well, when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper to the Corinthians, he's also getting on to them for the divisions that was among them. And so Paul is trying to say, listen, when you come to the Lord's table, don't be divided. Instead, be united upon what it is that truly unites you. The beauty of the cross of Jesus is that it is the very thing that transcends all of which seeks to divide us in our culture today. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Back to the Basics. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part four titled, The Lord's Supper. Well, we are in the middle of a teaching series, and so I want to invite you to take your Bibles to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're working through what we're calling back to the basics, and we're taking a look, a fresh look at practices, ordinances of the church that uh, God instituted in the New Testament that we continue to practice to this very day. And today we come to the subject of the Lord's Supper. And so we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. And following our time of study together, we'll take communion. We'll partake in the Lord's Supper. And so as you came in, you found some elements there in your seat. And so hold on to those. We'll take use of those in just a moment. I want to show you one of my favorite pictures that hangs in my office. This is a picture of Sedona, Arizona. Anybody been to Sedona, Arizona? Beautiful, is it not? I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. This is a picture of Kathy and I kissing on what is called the Devil's Bridge. You you thought we would come to church and we'd keep it G-rated, but I love kissing my bride and I don't mind showing that, right? And so uh, there we are on Devil's Bridge. Now let me just tell you a little bit about Devil's Bridge. That little bridge right there, right before we crossed, Kathy would not dare go on. And so we had to be on, on the other side of it. And uh, it is about uh, four feet wide at the narrowest point of this bridge. And it, and it hangs six stories above the nearest rock. Okay, so you see that greenery down below? That's actually just open right there. It's called the Devil's Bridge there. And I love this picture. And I don't love this picture because of the beauty that it paints. I don't love this picture because I'm there just because I'm there with the love of my life. I don't love this picture just because of, uh, of, of the feeling that I, I had while I was there. The reason why I love this picture is because it reminds me of things that's not even pictured in that picture. Have you ever had a picture do that to you? It calls back a flood of memories. The reason why I love this picture is because it calls to memory to me the 1.8 mile hike to get there and what seemed like 25 miles to get back to the car. I remember, whenever I look at this picture, I remember that right before I walked across the bridge and right before I got to the narrowest spot, Kathy said, please don't trip. And as soon as she got that out of her mouth, I stumbled on the narrowest part 
of that bridge. I remember that. I remember when I finally got up and stood up, my knees were knocking. <laughs> I was so terrified that I almost fell to my, to my doom. I remember the memories that we took. I remember how my hip flexors didn't work right, and I couldn't even lift my legs. And by the end of that uh, hike, I was shuffling my feet on the way back to the car. Funny how a picture recalls back so many memories that aren't even a part of the picture. This is exactly what the Lord's Supper is all about. Yes, we have an object lesson. We have the bread and we have the juice. And it calls us to remember, to reflect upon. But I believe that there is even a deeper level of reflection of memory that we ought to call ourselves to when we observe the Lord's table. The observance of this ordinance should flood our minds in remembrance of the price paid to purchase our great salvation. And so I want to approach our our study of the Lord's Supper in three different categories here this morning. I want to take a look at the historical significance. I want to take a look at the symbolic significance. And I want to take a look at the practical significance of the Lord's Supper. That will serve as our outline this morning. But let's read our passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 29 is where we'll be. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, now I wanted to stop there for just a moment. We know that Paul was not there when Jesus served this Last Supper. Paul became a believer, a follower of Jesus, after Jesus had already ascended into heaven. Now, we can come to the conclusion here because of this passage that in some way, shape, or form, maybe perhaps it's a part of Jesus' revelation that led to Paul's uh, conversion experience, that maybe he instructed Paul on this particular event. But nevertheless, we learn that the Lord Jesus himself explained to Paul, and Paul passes that on to every church that he started. So he said on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Let's first take into consideration the historical significance of the Lord's Supper. This supper finds its roots in what is called the Passover meal. The Passover meal. We cannot pass over the Passover as we seek to understand the Lord's Supper. Jesus implemented this supper, this remembrance, this communion, as he observed Passover. Passover is an Old Testament feast providing a picture of God's deliverance when he rescued the people of God out of the nation of Egypt. And the bondage that they experience in Egypt is a picture of the bondage that we experience in our sin. 
But God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And so Moses stood before the Pharaoh based upon the sole authority that God had commanded him and demanded that Pharaoh let his people go. Let God's people go. But Pharaoh, you know the story, refused to oblige the word of the Lord. And as a result, God sent a series of judgments upon Egypt, a total of 10. Things that included the Nile turning to blood, an infestation of frogs, lice, locusts, and even darkness over the land. And given the opportunity to relent and to relinquish the people of God, Moses, or Pharaoh rather, said no. He hardened his heart. He refused to let the Israelites go. And as a result, the tenth and final judgment came upon Egypt. It was the death of the firstborn male in every household of Egypt. And in the midst of this darkness, and in the midst of all of the death, there was a promise that God gave his people. More than just a promise, a provision that should they adhere to the provision, they would not have to pay the penalty of this final judgment. Moses gave the people very detailed instructions on how to observe the Passover meal, what would be called Passover. It was a meal that included the sacrifice of a lamb. And there were multiple cups taken and uh, blessings pronounced at each cup taken throughout the course of the meal. The first cup was the cup of sanctification. It was a blessing acknowledging that God, Father God, Almighty God, is King of the universe. And then parts of the meal would be served, including bitter herbs. And this was to call to memory the bitterness, the, the difficulty that I, they had experienced in bondage as slaves. And then the second cup, known as the cup of judgment. This cup spoke of all the differing plagues that Egypt had experienced up to that point. Then the sacrificed lamb was served. And after the sacrificed lamb was served, a piece of unleavened bread was broken into three portions. But that particular bread was given a name. You want to know what the name was of that piece of bread? It was for the one who will come. This was in reference to a Messiah. And that bread was broken and enjoyed by those in the home. And then the third cup was observed. It was called the cup of redemption. And then the family would sing a hymn, and then they would depart. And in addition to these observances on that very first Passover, Moses gave detailed instructions as to what they were to do with this sacrificed lamb. I want to read that portion of Scripture to you. Exodus chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. Moses says, your lamb shall be without blemish, shall be perfect. A male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. And when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, and then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. This very act was to serve as a signal to what is the angel of death. And that when the angel of death would come to a home to take that of the firstborn child, 
They would see the blood over the doorpost and they would pass over that home and that child was then spared. I read one commentator that said this, the Passover provided a physical temporary deliverance. But Jesus in the establishment of communion was pointing to a spiritual and eternal deliverance, in essence, a greater deliverance. And that is true. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Scripture tells us that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but instead he came to fulfill the law. And serving as our great sacrificial lamb, he did just that. In fact, it was John the Baptist that pronounced in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Gospels tell us that it is Jesus that is observing this Passover meal with his disciples when he instituted that the church, his bride, that when he were to ascend into heaven is to carry this on in a particular manner. They are to carry on the, the observance of the Passover meal, but they are to do so in remembrance of him. Why? Because he's the ultimate Passover lamb. I heard a pastor once say, the cross is not an accident. Jesus is not a victim. Jesus is a volunteer. Jesus volunteered to be your Passover lamb. He volunteered to be my Passover lamb. And by faith in Jesus, just like the Israelites in the land of Egypt, we are spared of the penalty of our sin. This is the historical backdrop by which Jesus institutes this sacred observance, the sacred ordinance. So we have the historical significance. Then the symbolic significance. We have already mentioned the symbolism as, as a part of the Lord's Supper because it is steeped in the symbolism of Passover meal. But it's important to highlight that it is just that, that it is symbolism. There are Christian traditions that ascribe to something that is called transubstantiation. It's a giant word that simply means this, that the elements of the Eucharist actually become the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. In other words, they do not subscribe to this being symbolic, but that it being literal through a priestly prayer that the elements transform into these very things. How do they come to that belief? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, as Paul repeats what Jesus said to his disciples, it said, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And we know that Jesus repeats the same phrase. This is the new covenant in my blood when he references the cup. But remember, Jesus and the disciples are participating in Passover, which is highly symbolic. And so therefore, on the hearers of the disciples, the disciples, they heard Jesus say, this is my body, this is my blood, would have no unmistakably believed that to be symbolism because of the symbolic nature of the Passover meal. Now, you've got to also take into consideration that when Jesus instituted this meal, he had yet to go to the cross. And so therefore, how could the cup actually become the blood of Jesus? He had yet to spill it at this point. So 
tradition, historical Christian theology have always proclaimed that, that it's not the actual body and blood of Jesus, that transubstantiation is not the idea here, but rather symbolism is the idea. They are to symbolize these things. Let me illustrate it this way. Both of my boys play basketball. If I were to tell you, oh man, my boys were beasts on the court, would you come to the conclusion that they transformed into a wolf whenever they played basketball? Absolutely not. That's because it's metaphorical language. And Jesus here is using metaphorical language. When he's saying, this is my body, it's not his actual flesh. When he says, this is my blood, it's not actually his blood. It is symbols of those things. Furthermore, it's important in discussing the symbolic nature of the Lord's Supper to point out the fact that there is no saving grace in participation of this ordinance. In other words, there's no salvific value to that which we partake. Let me explain it this way. You are not saved because you participate in the Lord's Supper. When I flew last week into Allentown, Pennsylvania, I had an hour drive from the airport to Bear Creek Township, Pennsylvania, where the camp, Rising Light Ridge, is located. And on your drive from Allentown to Bear Creek Township, you follow signs. And at some point, you begin to see signs saying, this way to Bear Creek Township. The sign itself is not Bear Creek Township. It is a sign that points us to Bear Creek Township. The same is true with the Lord's Supper. They are not the elements of Jesus himself, but they point to what Jesus did on our behalf at the cross upon Calvary. The elements and the action taken in the Lord's Supper are symbolic. Jesus says, the bread, which is broken, represents my body. And he particularly says, my body, which is broken for you. This is obviously symbolic of the wounded, the lacerated, the cut, the bludgeoned body beaten beyond comprehension of Jesus. This is what the Lord endured to save us. And the cup, Jesus says, represents his blood shed for us on the cross. This also symbolic of the pierced hands, the ripped flesh from his back, and the speared body of Jesus upon the cross. Again, enduring the very wrath of God, paying the penalty of your sin and mine, and doing so in our place. Jesus was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who endured your punishment and mine so that by faith and trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, we would not have to. Jesus took what was rightfully ours and placing our faith and trust in him as Jesus is the Lord of our lives results in eternal life, true life. That's a lot of symbolism we partake in. Let me talk specifically about ties to the Passover meal. I told you that there were at least three cups. And remember after the lamb was served, what was served? The unleavened bread that was broken. It was many scholars that would suggest that that is when Jesus says, this is my body which is broken for you. 
And so he's taking that very bread. Do you remember what that bread was called? It was called the one who shall come. Jesus, in breaking the bread, was more than giving an illustration on what was going to happen to his body. Instead, he was saying, I am the one who is to come. It was a proclamation of him saying, I am the Messiah. It was an announcement for him to make, to do it at that very moment. And then the cup that he passed around to share, you remember what the name of that cup was? The cup of redemption. Jesus, by shedding his blood on the cross, purchased your redemption. He redeemed us. He bought us back. That we are no longer our own. We are blood-bought by Jesus at the moment of faith and trust in him. Highly, highly symbolic. Very intentional for Jesus to do this at this point. And Jesus said something very specific when he introduces the cup. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11. It says, in the same way he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In Jesus fulfilling the law of God, he fulfilled all aspects of the old covenant, thereby putting into action a new covenant. What is the new covenant? Well, when Jesus died upon the cross, several incredible events happened at the very same time. You'll remember in Matthew's gospel, he talks about how the sun was blacked out, how there was an earthquake. But perhaps one of the most significant miracles of the cross was the tearing of the curtain in the temple from top to bottom. What's so significant about the tearing of the curtain? Well, that curtain said to be 60 feet tall and as thick as a man's hand was ripped in a very particular way from top to bottom. And that curtain, prior to its ripping, separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. Only one person could enter into the Holy of Holies and only on one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement. And legend has it that even the high priest that would walk into that room on that one day would have a rope tied around his ankle should he encounter the presence of God and fall dead. No one could go get him. And so they would drag him out by the rope tied around his ankle. Needless to say, this room, this holy of holies, was extremely holy. But at the moment of Christ's crucifixion, that curtain ripped. No longer saying that am I separated because of your sin, but instead through the blood of Jesus, you can have a relationship with God. By the blood of Jesus, we may boldly approach the throne of grace. Why? Because Jesus is our great high priest. In Jesus, you no longer need a high priest to beckon on your behalf. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father doing that for you. And by the blood of Jesus, you may enter. We may enter into the very presence of God. So we've talked about the historical significance. The symbolic significance. Now in the time that we have left, let's turn to the practical significance. Three words in 1 Corinthians 11 that I want to point out to you. Underline them, circle them, highlight them. They are the words proclaim, examine, and until. 
Proclaim, examine, and until. First, the word proclaim in verse 26. Jesus says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. When we observe the Lord's Supper, which we will do here in just a moment, it is a proclamation. It is a sermon in and of itself. It is the greatest object lesson explaining the very tenets of the gospel. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, oh, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The observance of the Lord's Supper is a sermon, a, a, a proclamation. The elements proclaim we are sinners in need of forgiveness. Communion announces, it proclaims that Jesus took our sin upon the cross. The Lord's Supper proclaims that there is restored relationship with God through the blood of Jesus. This observance is a proclamation. Secondly, the word examine. Paul gives a very strong warning to the Corinthians and thereby to us today. Verses 27 through 29, he says, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. This is such a serious sacred act that there is an examination required. What are we to examine? We're to examine our heart. I, I want to point out the words unworthy manner. Have you ever felt unworthy to be a child of God? I know I have. I know my sin. I know my selfishness. I know the unworthy manner even by which I stand in this pulpit because I am a sinner. And as Paul would say and identify, I identify too. I'm the chief among sinners in this room. And so I feel the unworthiness. But the truth is, we're all unworthy of grace, aren't we? Grace would not be grace if it was earned. Grace is only grace because it's freely given in abundance by Almighty God who loves us, and he can only do that as a righteous judge because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We do not, we cannot earn God's favor. We are sinful humanity in need of God's grace. And so I don't think the term here, unworthy, is in reference to being perfect. For that would be impossible. No one could partake of the Lord's Supper if that were the case. But I believe what Paul is saying is that we should not come to the table if we are openly and intentionally living in a way that we know displeases God. If we are willfully sinning, never acknowledging that it is sin, that is a spirit of defiance. And that is a way in which you approach the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. See, struggling with and working through sin is one thing. Open defiance is another thing. You see the difference there? And I think that that's what Paul is getting at when he says, 
don't come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Another way we are to examine our hearts is to determine if we are bringing a spirit of division. Well, how do we get that? Well, when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper to the Corinthians, he's also getting on to them for the divisions that was among them. They were a very divided people. And so Paul is trying to say, listen, when you come to the Lord's table, don't be divided. Instead, be united upon what it is that truly unites you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to me. The beauty of the cross of Jesus is that it is the very thing that transcends all of which seeks to divide us in our culture today. The cross of Jesus Christ is what transcends everything that divides us today. You know, we are a very divided people. Doesn't take much to look across our country to see that we are a very divided people. We're divided politically. We're divided racially. We're divided theologically on secondary doctrines. We're even harboring resentment towards other people, bitterness towards other. Beloved, as believers in Jesus Christ, the cross calls us to a greater unity. It is not to be uniformity in the body of Christ, you see, but there is a higher level of unity that unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not the political aisle. It's the cross. The arms of Jesus that stand stretched out wide, bridging those in opposite categories and bringing them under one family of God. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we ought to be reminded of the unity that we share. Not in our ideologies, but in our position as children of God. We are unified. So we have the word proclaim, the word examine, and thirdly, the word until. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The observance of the Lord's Supper, the elements of the Lord's Supper point to something. It points to a different reality than what you and I are currently experiencing. It is the Lord's desire that while we reflect on the act that purchased our redemption, we are also eagerly awaiting his return. And in case this is news to you, Jesus is coming again. He was born once, he sent it into heaven, and he is coming again. Why do we anticipate his second coming? Well, John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We will carry on the tradition, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, communion, until a very specific day. The day in which Gabriel announces the call of Jesus to return and to take his bride that where he is, there we may be also. 
So when we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, we are reminded not only of Jesus' death, burial, his resurrection, but that, oh, praise God, he's coming again. He's coming again. A couple other things I want to touch on just real quick on the practical side. Two questions. How should we observe communion? How often? Number two, who can partake in the Lord's Supper? You know, the Bible never tells us how often we are to do it. Jesus only said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So there are some churches that have elected to do this every week. Some churches do it three times a year. Some churches do it the first Sunday of the month. We have chosen as Trinity Baptist Church to observe it for sure four times a year, once a quarter, with the option to serve it more frequently. And the reason why we take this approach is because we don't want the Lord's Supper to become an empty ritual by which we just go through the motions week in and week out. It should be different. It should be set apart. The reason why I'm wearing a coat today, for those of you that are guests, I usually don't preach in this. I usually preach in an untucked shirt. But it's my desire to come to the Lord's table with a spirit of reverence, and this reminds me of that. And so it's to be unique, set apart. And so we come to the Lord's table that way. What about who can participate? Scripture teaches us that when we eat the bread and we drink the juice, we participate in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We, we participate in what it is that we enjoy because of a restored relationship with God. And because the Lord's Supper preaches a sermon, we would say this, it is reserved for those that are believers only. You should not partake in a sermon in which you do not believe. And so if you are here today and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, that means you have not been born again. There's not a moment in your life in where you have yielded your life to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, then we're so glad that you are here. We want you to know that you're in the right place to begin investigating and listening to the Holy Spirit of God who is drawing you to himself. But if that's you, we would simply ask you to observe. As we partake, as we preach a sermon, it's not only highly symbolic, but is deeply meaningful. And so it is for believers. We also say this, it is the Lord's table. In other words, it's not Trinity Baptist Church's table. The table doesn't belong to the particular church. The table belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore we would say this, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and not a member of our church, we welcome you to the Lord's table because it is not our table. And so we believe in what is called an open-closed communion. It is open to all believers in Jesus Christ regardless of your church membership, but it is closed to only those that are believers in Jesus Christ. So I want to invite the band to come back up and lead us in a time of response. And in the time of response, I believe that there are two responses in the room here this morning. The first is, if you are apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, respond to him today. It very well could be that this be you, your first communion because you have yielded your life to Jesus Christ. 
We'll have elders here at the front of the room, and we would love nothing more than to talk to you about how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of you that are believers in the room, your response is to heed the warning that Paul gives to the Corinthians. Examine your heart. Do you, have you fully surrendered to Jesus Christ? Are you openly and intentionally walking in disobedience? You can repent and therefore come to the Lord's table. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.